but the first and most important thing for us is oat milk, and, and the reason is not because we're, we're I, I don't think any of us are lactose intolerant or anything like that, it's that we wanted to do something which was positive for New Zealand, and in particular uh, in, the, in the rural sector, because we're, we're all sort of uh, farmers in our background. If you're thinking of doing something uh, from from trying to go out there and, and, and build build your own whatever it is, uh, my message would be to to just get started, to give it a crack. And then the, the second thing which I've found is that if you ask people for help, they're so open and keen to help you. And and that's the most surprising thing that I've found in this tiny little startup that we had. We would go around and, and we would ask some really, really impressive people, and perhaps you've experienced that with some of the, the people you've bumped in through the lodge. Man, they're keen to help, eh? Like, like people who are, have achieved some success are not hoarding the, the knowledge that they've learned. Yeah, in, in terms of a New Zealand perspective, I think that we should all be, be thinking big, you know, that, that uh, we don't need to have little man syndrome down in the bottom of the world, that, um, you know, there's, there's lots of examples and, and I think we need lots more people at Gartner think big. That was Chris Wilkie and this is Dug It, the podcast. Welcome to episode 67 of Dug It with Chris Wilkie from Otis Oat Milk and yeah, well, Otis, if you haven't tried it, you got to try a flat oat. It's incredible. Um, I'm lactose intolerant, dairy intolerant. I'm something. <laughs> and uh, I've been searching. I even tried to make my own almond milk uh, company for a little bit and did the research and wasn't that sustainable. And then I stumbled across oat milk in Sweden when I stayed with my friend Jake in Malmo and they had oat yogurts, oat creams, oat everything. And it was just incredible. And I don't know why I didn't explore it in New Zealand, but I'm glad someone did. And Chris Wilkie and uh, Tim Ryan are the founders of Otis Oat Milk. And it's an incredible company. They've um, It was great to catch up with Chris and hear what their vision is and kind of where the idea stemmed from and really comes from a place of sustainability, wanting to do something good and uh, really resonated with Chris. He plays golf, which is a bonus, and he's really into entrepreneurship. Um, I love how he, he talks in the podcast how he could, he had the creative skills to get any job, but then, then as soon as he got the job, he didn't want it. <laughs> That's so, that so resonates with me. <laughs> I just enjoy the process of applying for things um, and applying myself to spread the wisdom, which is uh, on today's episode is all about oat milk and sustainability and transitioning New Zealand to a bit of farming, uh, a bit of way of farming that Chris and Tim both come from farming backgrounds and Tim was in advertising. Chris had some pubs in the UK and a few other uh, going ons and then they've come back and created this amazing company. They're building a huge plant plant to build, which is their kind of uh, pun double entendre on a, a commercial plant to to make millions of liters of oat milk to send to Asia and for New Zealand, but to make something to export as well. And interesting, I didn't know this, but oats grow best at the poles. So obviously in Scotland where they're famous, uh, oats are very famous in Scotland because the climate's cold. It helps them grow, and we've got the best, actually the best conditions in Southland, down in Invercargill, Southland, for growing oats. So it's really neat to have something that's homegrown. It's it's going to be made here, packaged here, all of that. Um, they are working with Sweden though, and and scientists over there, and also different production methods. But they're on their way, and the product's amazing, and they're about to release shortly. I will not mention it, but I want to give away some of their current oat milk and they're bringing out some new products shortly which is really exciting so we'll do a giveaway for those too try and get everybody on the oat milk buzz and if you're going out for a coffee ask for a flat oat that's a life changer it's a game changer it's a sustainability changer as well it's uh for the better good for the better 
everything. Uh, anything else? I think that's about it. And film this one at, and I recorded it. I'll try and get this some video, video up as well at Orphan's Kitchen. So shout out to Orphan's Kitchen. They have the oat milk there in Auckland, and uh, it's just a great spot. So put a background cafe noise to keep the vibe high. Here we go, Mr. Chris Wilkie. Enjoy. <laughs> Well, I really appreciate your, your time for sneaking me in to yeah. your whirlwind trip, Chris. Um, so, I guess to start, what's the what? How do you classify what you do? You've got Otis, which is a New Zealand oat milk. Uh, yeah. Well, it's going to be bigger than oat milk, isn't it? Really, it's probably the mission is much bigger than that. Yeah. So, um, thanks for thanks for having me, Doug. It's uh, I, I actually see. Uh, Otis oat milk as um, like just just a vehicle. Uh, we Tim and I uh, and our mate Sam started this company really as a climate change company, and we want to be an environmentally positive influence on on what's happening in New Zealand. And we just chose oat milk as our way to start doing it. But you're right. Like uh, for people who, who don't know much about oat milk which is less now, but uh, back when we started was a lot of people, uh, whenever I'd tell my friends and family, they invariably said goat milk. <laughs> Why you make, so, uh, but you know, for people who don't know, anything you can make milk out of, you can make with oat milk. So cheeses, yogurts, ice creams, uh, chocolate milks, cooking creams, all of that sort of stuff. And, and we have plans to do all of it, you know? Uh, but the first and most important thing for us is oat milk, and and the reason is not because we're we're I, I don't think any of us are lactose intolerant or anything like that. It's that we wanted to do something which was positive for New Zealand and in particular uh, in the, in the rural sector because we're we're all sort of uh, farmers in our background. Yeah, that's because I am lactose intolerant and right. went on the. Um I did a gut test with Ben Warren, and it kind of helped solve a lot of problems I had. Interesting, cool. And I was always, as an ath- kind of a wannabe athlete growing up, I saw the David Beckham posters, and they got milk and would drink two liters after every yeah. workout, and wasn't really that aware. Um, and then when I found that out, discovered, you know, almond milk and soy milk, and then, and then the veil of that went away you know the monoculture and the sprays and the importing and yeah. um and then to discover oat milk and i found oatly in sweden and malmo mm-hmm. and it was incredible the oat yogurts the milk you've been there to malmo. yeah it was, it's awesome eh? and and i and i i was like this is a, just an incredible product um and so to have someone doing it in new zealand now is because uh, the, the other thing is the taste and the texture is just so much better than the alternatives too. Yeah, like I'm so. incredibly biased, but, <laughs> but, but I agree. Uh, you know, for us, uh, in, in, in fairness, it was uh, Tim Ryan, uh, co-founder, who uh, first had the idea. Uh, like me, he'd spent a lot of time in Europe. I think he was in uh, uh, Amsterdam working for a big um, uh, marketing agency there. And... I tell the story that one of his ex-girlfriends was a vegan and so he tried it on and in cafes in Amsterdam they were selling uh, Oatly and he actually quite liked it. It's, he's uh, no longer, he's happily married to someone else so he doesn't like the ex-girlfriend <laughs> reference but uh, that's, that's sort of where it started. And then, you know, during this period both of us were away. Uh, I was over in Europe for like a dozen years, Tim for I think nearly 10. Coming back to our the farms that uh, we grew up on and seeing what was happening to agriculture here and the change and the, the effects of industrialised dairying, we thought, okay, plant-based milk, right? That's Which one should we do? We, we liked oat milk. And if you look around the New Zealand landscape, like we don't grow soy, we don't grow almonds, we don't grow rice, we don't grow macadamias, we don't grow... Or, but we happen to grow the world's best oats. Like, literally, we do. It's, it's the best in the world. So it seemed like an absolute no-brainer to try and do 
you know, the, the, they wouldn't like us saying this, but the, the Oatly of the Southern Hemisphere, right? Um, and so that's, that's when the, the journey really kicked in. Um, the, the whole thing with no-brainers, of course, is that uh, when you're like, oh, this is simple, you work out why no one else has done it, because it's actually bloody hard to do. Uh, but, um, you know, we, we think we're getting there, we, we, we've got uh, some pretty good traction, it's, it's, the milk's tasting good, and we're, we're growing and growing. So. And that's, and how did you, there's three, of, three partners, isn't there? Three... Yeah, so we sort of we, we started there with uh, Tim, myself, and another friend of ours who's actually in, uh, based in London, Sam. Um, and, and Sam's just, a designer. Is he yeah, designer so he's yet? he's the guy's done a bunch of the cool logo stuff. He's um, he's really uh, clued on and good with that. And uh, Tim is 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 branding guy, and I I they call me the the numbers guy, so I try and wear a collar when they get to wear t-shirts and stuff. But uh, yeah, no. Uh, that, that's where it started, um, and since then we, we brought on, uh, which is our, our, I think how you know about us is through Roger, mm. who, who came on as, as an early investor, and, and so that, that's us, the, the ownership group, and then we've got uh, some, some members of the team now, and, and, and we're away. And you were childhood friends growing up, were you, or, yeah. how, or how did you yeah, meet so at college? Was, or? Yeah, we met at uni down in uh, Otago, so Tim, was childhood friends with uh, one of my best mates uh, from uni, uh, and actually, so this guy Carl, uh, we uh, went off in um, in London. Uh, Carl and I uh, it was during the last financial crisis. Uh, we're trying to come up with ideas of something to do. Sorry, I go into long-winded stories, yeah. but bear with me. Uh, we were on a bus in Bolivia, backpacking around the world, trying to come up with a plan, and we decided that when we got back to London, we'd buy a pub. Smart idea for two 27-year-old Kiwis. <laughs> but, but we, you know, we actually managed to pull it off. Uh, we bought this great little uh, dusty pub called The Pilgrim, uh, which uh, over 10 years later we've still got. Uh, it's just opened post-COVID again. Uh, but we bought a, another couple of pubs, and so we got this little pub group going. Uh, a little while after we'd started, uh, Tim came over like a lot of our friends they quite fancy the idea of having mates who owned a pub in London, uh, so and they would sleep on our couch for a while. I think Tim lasted about 12 months <laughs> living <laughs> above the pub uh, before he went off to Amsterdam and got on with his life proper. But so that's where we reconnected, and then I moved home. I had a couple of kids and I went back to the farm in uh, South Wairarapa, uh, and I was bringing some stuff back, and Tim was bringing some stuff back, so he sent, uh, was actually inside a caravan I was importing, he sent back his surfboard and snowboard and all this sort of stuff, and it sat in my garage for a few weeks, I was starting to get pissed off, and Tim turned up to collect it, and that's when he uh, told me about the Otis idea, and so that that's a little over two years ago now. So you had the, a bit of an entrepreneurial skill set then with the, the pubs, was there another, did you have the, any the food science, or I guess you had the farming background as well as the business. But what yeah, and like if any of my uh, family and cousins and, and actually listen to this, uh, they'll laugh at the farming background because I was always a really shit farmer. Uh, uh, but uh, I was also, I was kind of lucky uh, that I, I think I worked out there was also a pretty shit employee early on. Uh, it took a few years to, to and a few different jobs and initially in London, I was working in an investment bank, uh, and like I, I just didn't like being a, a, a little cog in the wheel. And as a result, I was probably pretty terrible at most of the jobs I did there. So I, I knew I had to get out and do something for myself. So the first first thing that actually worked was the pubs. But uh, yeah, I, I I'm fairly unemployable, which I think I actually think is a good thing. But you know. yeah, there's um. A lot of people I listen to say they couldn't get a job at their own company. Yeah, <laughs> I would the, not employ me. Yeah, no, no, and, um, yeah, yeah. yeah that's and uh, yeah, at school you kind of, you know, you're not really taught that that, you know, you just follow the rules and um, exactly. And then the the wide world is, uh, I think there's yeah, there's like a skill set or a mindset to entrepreneurs which is quite different to everyone else and there, there is and like it's 
I don't think it's a genetic or anything. I just think, um, or maybe there's some personality traits, but you know, if you're influenced, you get a couple of good books. I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad when I was 14 or something. So yeah. you start to tick about uh, what's in it for me. I think my only skill as an employee was job interviews. So I could get the job, but then once I got it, I was pretty hopeless at it. Um, but yeah, that's I, working that out young uh, was was probably a good thing for me, you know. Yeah, um, I'm reading Craig Heatley's book, who's a big golfer, and he's the, oh, okay, he yeah. founded. I didn't realize, but he started New Zealand's first kind of mini putt in Taupo, or one of the, you know, the yeah, thing, I know the, 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 I know the, the mini putt, yeah, yeah, and, um, yeah. And he, I think at 17, he bought some land, uh, $10,000 subdivision with 200 bucks, or uh, you know, yeah, yeah. just this entrepreneurial spirit and. Um, and you just read the book and it just everything kind of resonates I'm like oh wow that's such you know this is yeah. right up my wavelength yeah. um, it's like a blessing and a curse if yeah. you get that young you're like you know great that's what I want to do and and it was interesting I was listening to a podcast on the drive down the how I built this podcast and it was the comfy company like oh, it means dove in Italian but like Caboye or something in, 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 in America it's the big um like boutique artisan coffee company. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'll have to double check the name, that's not correct. But but when we had the founder, um, the CEO of Chobani stay with us, he told me about the CEO who founded Chobani on the Greek Gogurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Art, you know, crazy story and how they had the deal, his company had come in to help re- repair the company because it was about to go bankrupt within three days and they, they were putting $800 million into it, US. And and uh, Habani, or the I forget how to pronounce his first name correctly, but the the founder Chibani calls him up and says, "I need an extra hundred million or fifty million dollars tomorrow as well." And he said, "Well, we've been working on this deal for months. Like, I can't just add an extra. Yeah. What is it? What do you need it for?" And he's like, "I just need it." And so he's he's like, "Well, I can't give it to you. I'm gonna have to fly over and and crunch the numbers." And he said. Well, my favourite coffee company just got bought by these investors, by these venture capitalists, and they don't want to. And I want to buy it back off them for double what they paid. And he's like, "What's the company worth?" I got no idea, but we're paying double what they paid to get. It. And then this, how I built this podcast, was the backstory behind that. And that, oh, I have to listen to that. And it was really interesting that they had venture capitalists that came on board, and then they had this vision that cold brew was going to be massive, and they knew the coffee industry inside and out but the venture capitalists wanted to just do cafes and stick to what was yeah known and they said we need that we need someone who understands craft and products and the value of doing something well and they called up habani or yeah the owner of chobani and said you know try this it's going to be huge and he was just yeah i'll pay you double whatever the other guys paid and just jumped on board and um it's just mind-blowing yeah and the the way the the CEO of the company talked about him was just it doesn't make sense to him but he's like this guy he's got yeah. the touch and he knows what so he's something. he's the biggest oat milk maker in the world now I think so when or he, on track to be yeah when he was out here he said they were transitioning to plants and plant based products and they were building the world's biggest oat milk factory in yeah. America it's mind blowing eh? and the money involved um, and they were so close to bankruptcy and you know just a wild roller coaster ride but um yeah, you have to have a good appetite for risk. Yeah, you know, like because it's high peaks and high troughs. So, and it's such a um, even the, the I listen to the Stone Valley is it Stone Valley Farms, the guy, another big yogurt company in America, and he was all organics and the you know locked out of his own factory, fires, just everything you could imagine. He's calling his mother-in-law up at midnight, trying to get extra money without his wife knowing to keep the yeah yeah yeah. Um, and then you just see these success stories, and you forget all of the yeah. There's the a lot of people don't <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you uh, see this great brand and product, and you think oh, another good one was the the book that lots of people read, and it's a, I find it a really good read was the Shoe Dogs. Oh yeah. Um, and so Tim read that uh, because his uh, ad agency. Uh, their main customer was Nike. So he was like head of global 
branding for Nike. So Tim, that was Tim's it, background. It was Tim, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so they're, they're Wyden and Kennedy, I think, is the name of the, his old firm. And they, so they have offices in Amsterdam where Nike's based, uh, Portland and New York, and he was sort of tripping between those. But he said that every Nike employee has to read that book. And you kind of see why, because it's inspiring stuff. And they were on the brink so many times, weren't they? Yeah. Uh, you know, so for people who want to be entrepreneurs, you, it's, it's not all roses, eh? And it's not all billions at the end, of course, but um, if you've got an appetite for it, it's, it's exciting. And I heard Gary Vee talk about when he first started, he was, his dad made him work in the, the worst job in the liquor store, packing ice, um, dropping off bottles, just doing all the, yeah, yeah. the most medial tasks. And, um, and, and I, I think at one point I felt quite entitled that I deserved to be up here and starting this family lodge, you know, dishes at midnight till two in the morning every night and then doing the marketing and doing the accounting. And now I'm so glad I had to do all of that to have the real kind of grassroots understanding of a business. Um, and I mean, starting Otis must have been, uh, the small team must have been like that with, still is, I guess you're doing yeah, everything, yeah, yeah, anything, yeah. Like, research and development and... Oh, we joke about job titles. Like, what's your job title? <laughs> I don't know. Like, whatever urgently needs doing, you know, that's that's my job. And the same with the um, uh, pubs uh, back. We, uh, Carl and I were so so skint when we started out. Like, we, we started this first pub with, like, a £30,000 uh, loan, like, between the two of us. And that was it. Like, that's all we had. We couldn't spend a penny. Uh, so we split roles. Uh, I was the plumber and he was the electrician. Neither of us knew how to do either of those things, but we were like, okay, you're more likely to get electrocuted and I'm more likely to have my hand in shit the whole time. That's probably a fair trade, <laughs> you know. Uh, and, but doing that sort of stuff really, like, gives you, it gives you value of what you will ask other people to do for you sometimes as you grow, but it also it makes you, you really value the success if it, and when it comes, you know. You can... You can remember how small it was. And so, I mean, Tim and I, back to Otis, uh, we, we launched uh, in our first cafe only like 15 months ago, a uh, place uh, down in, in Dunedin, which was cool, uh, straight across the road on, on Union Street, uh, the dispensary straight across the road from uni where we kind of met. Um, and we had at that point 40 litres of milk total. 40 litres of oat milk, uh, and we decide, yep, we're ready to go to out to the public. And, you know, we, we just gambled, and it was stressful. I don't, we didn't even have proper containers, you know. We just went out and got started. And, yeah, and now we're, we're a little bit further along, but it's still all hands on deck for, for, for everything. Um, and, and, yeah, it, it, it's fun, right? Like, you know, you can – we always talk about uh, – you could say you're stressed, but why not just say you're excited? They're mm. kind of interchangeable, aren't they? You know, I'm really excited yeah. about this because <laughs> it's um, yeah, it's not boring. Well, because when I when I first really got into the plant-based milks, I wanted to manufacture the almond milk, so I was doing the same thing. I was yeah, making, right. I bought, and I wanted it to be kind of sustainable and beautifully designed, so I bought the glass bottles, with the screw caps, like kind of the antipodes design. And um, I started making like vanilla and chai and all these different almond milks and delivering them to friends. And uh, I think it was going to be called Doug's Nuts or something. I was like, nice. that or just either like go really ridiculous or keep it, um, uh, I don't know, something more, a bit safer. But the, then it would go off in like two days because it wasn't, you know, HPP processed or it didn't have, yeah. you know, the stabilization to keep it, the bacteria out. And then, so I went to the food lab up in Auckland. Yep. And then I was like, oh, okay, great. These guys can HPP it, but then it has to be in plastic, which was, I'm like, okay, well, that's a start. You know, maybe I can transition and find something different. But then they're like, you have to sort out your storage for your incoming goods. I'm like, okay, well, that's, okay, that's, and then they're like, then the distribution, we can only hold it for you a couple of days. And then, yep. and I was like, I've got, I don't, I'm not making it anymore. I'm like, I'm an importer, a distributor, a, a storage facility, a manufacturing, yep. 
and um, and then the cost of the almonds was so high, and then I found out how unsustainable that was. Yeah. Uh, and I've had several friends try, you know, go down that path as well. Um, so what's that? What's been? What have those little hurdles been? Because I'd imagine it's a similar process. Yeah. So I think perhaps, and and this is. Um, something I said right at the start that like when we started it, it like I, I got headlong into this company having never tried oat milk and for me it really wasn't about the thing that comes in the bottle you know the white substance was just a vehicle and you know we were quite deliberate about um, we call it like our north star about what we actually are doing this for we're not doing it to get rich uh, you know, uh, neither of us are particularly motivated by money. We've, we've worked that out, uh, you know, by now. Uh, we, we're doing it for this environmental change for New Zealand. Uh, we're doing it um, because, we, and in this part of having young kids, like I've, I've reached a point where uh, I really want to be proud of, or, or at least, not even pride, I want to be able to look my kids in the eye and say, well, I, at least. Dad tried, you know. I might have worked, but I really gave it a crack. And in New Zealand, the simple fact is our, the majority of our greenhouse uh, emissions come from cars and cows, right? That's where they come from. So Otis is here to take industrialised dairy head on. So having that as a, a North Star and trying to diversify land use means we can't be a crafty little brand, right? Because that might, you know, we might be in some cool cafes and maybe we'll make a, a few bucks here or there, but it doesn't change anything on the farm. The only way we achieve our North Star and our goal is by selling not hundreds of litres or thousands of litres. We have to sell, realistically, hundreds of millions of litres of oat milk. So if that was our starting point, it kind of helped us with a bunch of those tricky decisions that, it, that everyone faces. Uh, the, the first one we came across was um, we started out wanting to be organic oat milk. Same as you, we, you know, we, we made some of it. We had our organic oats from this great little uh, uh, cute old couple, um, uh, Mary and Mary and Barry or something in Ashburton are growing these organic oats and we were making uh, this oat milk and it tasted good for the first 12 hours. And the next day we'd get up and we'd taste it. And I swear to God, it tastes like rotten fish. And I was trying to get my friends to test it and they were like almost regurgitating it. Like, we couldn't work out what, what is this? And it's because the, um, the oats hadn't been properly kilned uh, in the milling process. And it turns out that uh, there's no good organic mill in New Zealand. So that came to this decision tree where we had to choose, okay, do we hang on to being an organic oat milk, which is what we wanted to do, knowing now that to do that we would have to import organic oats from somewhere else, mm. or do we be non-organic and New Zealand grown? Well, it's easy because... So the decision makes itself because we're here to help New Zealand farmers diversify. to stop. The, so we had to drop the organic thing. You know, and that's where I think, you know... Uh, all the way along there's these really tough decisions and there's a bunch more of them but if, if you know what your, your uh, driving force and your, your North Star is it helps you get past those hurdles and sort of lift your head above the day to day things packaging is another huge one right so you, you want it to be in these glass bottles um, and everyone thinks that that's the way to go mm. I thought glass bottles is, is it, it actually turns out that glass bottles are terrible for the environment. And people don't know, I didn't know, we, we've just um, had access to this uh, huge uh, piece of work. Um, it's still being peer reviewed at the moment, but uh, glass bottles, glass and uh, aluminium actually, are 10 times worse when you look at the whole life cycle than uh, you know, a carton, a, a long life Tetra Pak yeah. style carton. That's not the perception. Oh, we, we were desperate not to go into a, a Tetra Pak because oh, the, the recycling guy chucks them out of the bin sometimes. But when you look at the life cycle of it, um, uh, you know, and that's, that's 
part of our, our learning as we go along. Um, and one of the things is, I mean, you know, you, you glass, holding glass in there, glass is quite heavy, right? Uh, we're talking to these um, uh, manufacturers internationally, and you're like, uh, to get a carton, uh, a Tetra carton to the factory, uh, if you book uh, the whole truckload of cartons before they're, they're filled up, there's a discount. And we were looking at that, well, you save, I think it was 400 euros. Um, how, and I was like, well, how much is on a truck? And they're like, 2.2 million cartons on one truck, because they come in rolls. You think how many trucks you'd need to have 2.2 million glass bottles? It's like learning all that stuff about the, the full life cycle impacts. It's interesting. I don't know uh, how I got into that. But yeah. That's, yeah, I remember the, the my ex-girlfriend too, she was really into sustainability. and Vegan? I'd, yeah. <laughs> she kind of got me into a lot of the stuff, but we, we, we wasn't fully. And, um, but she, I gave her the glass bottles and was chatting to her about it. And, um, and she knew much more about this stuff than I did. And she said the same thing, the transportation of the weight. Yeah. And so many things were kind of, there's the green myths um, around so many, and, and to shift those perceptions or to unravel yeah, what's well, actually true is... Yeah, it's, it's, it's just learning and it, it'll be, it's how, how do you teach on the learnings that we've had. Like I didn't realise glass bottles, and I'm, trying, I'm not slagging off people that use glass, right? Like the, uh, but... Um, Apparently, glass milk bottles only get used on average nine times before they get remade, and then the energy required to remake them. I mean, glass bottles at home, you think you have them for years and years and just keep keep going, but apparently it's only nine times on average because they get chipped and they get dirty or whatever. And then there's the, like, it's not funny, but the world's running out of sand. I don't know whether you know that. Like, how is the world running out of sand? But apparently we're running out of sand and that's what glass bottles are made of. So it's not a renewable resource versus something that's grown from a tree, uh, you know, a cardboard uh, fibre or something like that. But, but yeah, there's, there's perceptions and, and on this journey we're, we're, man, we're learning a lot, you know. Um, but, um, yeah, what are some of the other uh, challenges that we've come across? Um, we We've been manufacturing on a very uh, small scale out of uh, a place called Food South next to Lincoln University. Um, and what we would ideally have done is made this medium step from there where we're quite restricted on the amount that we can produce um, and, and sort of gradually grow like a normal company would, would try and do. But what we've found is that there is no logical medium step and and that's uh, just a matter of the kit that you use so you know and you found out uh, trying to make uh, your almond milk stable it's really hard and, and all milks I was really disappointed to find out uh, all milks are quite dangerous uh, you know they're, they're a nutritionist food but they're really good for bacteria and stuff as well that's why uh, you have to be so careful with milk going off same with almond milk or, or oat milk so the kit that's used to make them stable, and we UHT our milk uh, to give it a 12-month uh, life shelf life, um, it's really expensive, right? Like, it's, it's really punchy. So you can't just have that kit and, you know, make a few thousand litres. You have to make millions of litres, otherwise mm. the, the math doesn't add up. Uh, I think the, the first quote we got for our, our oat milk factory uh, was uh, seventy million dollars? Seven o. Seven o. Wow. And we were like, Tim and I were like, um, <laughs> oh yeah, Se exactly. Tim's like seven o. <laughs> like, yeah, they said seven o. <laughs> so like, it's 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 a big step, right? But uh, you know, you can get scared off by something like that. Uh, or you can look back to your mission. Okay, well, I do have to sell hundreds of millions of litres if I'm going to make real environmental change. So I guess we've got to go out and find some money, you know? Um, and that's... And because if you, like myself, you believe that this is a genuinely pressing problem that we shouldn't just 
kicked down the road for 20 years when it comes to global warming, it's like, okay, well, we do, we shouldn't mess around with these little steps. We should try and get big fast, you know? And not only for us, you know, our plan is to, to build a facility that the next Dougs or Chris and Tims that come along have somewhere to step to, you know? Mm. So, so you know, we get a, a facility off the ground, we've, we've dubbed it the plant plant, we want it to be exclusively plant-based, and and, um, and so other people can, can make a, a more incremental uh, step to produce plant-based products, dairy alternatives, you know? Well, that's... Um yeah, that's uh, it's interesting. Those, I guess that's why kind of venture capital and these capital systems exist because there's some models which only work at a at this certain scale. Yeah. And this this plant plant was being, this is going in the South Island, isn't it? Our, our um, whole ethos is, you know, and Tim Tim always challenges me to flip conventional thinking on our head. You know what what most brands in New Zealand do is they, they get a little bit big and then they run to up to Auckland to be close to, to the market and set up there. We, we want to do the opposite. We want to stay close to our farmers. All our oats are, um, are grown at the very bottom of the South Island, uh, Southland and Invercargill, I was mentioning before, but, you know, oats, um, uh, they grow best closest to the poles. So in the Northern Hemisphere, um, that's your Scotland's, your Sweden's, your Canada. Uh, and in the south, uh, having been, been to uni down there, that's pretty close to the South yeah. Pole, but you know, on a global scale. So, so our farmers are there. We've already got the best oat growers in the world. Uh, we've got a great mill. Um, uh, Haraway's Mill is where all our oats come from. It's been on the same location in Green Island and Dunedin for over 150 years, wow. family owned. Uh, and so we want to put our facility down there and, and make that a real plant-based hub. Um, and in terms of getting to markets, well, our, our market needs to be the world. And realistically, for this part of the world, that means Asia. So, you know, our product needs to go on boats anyway. So it doesn't really matter if it goes out of uh, Port Chalmers and Dunedin or... or Tauranga or Auckland, you know, it, it doesn't. So, so that's where we, we, we're going to put it. That I mean, I we had all these members that uh, there's a few members stuck at Tara Edi during the lockdown, and uh, one of them's um, you know one of the world's great biggest CEOs, and I was like, well, you know, how do you think about everything that's going on at the moment? And he said, well, the best thing New Zealand could do would be to make and produce nearly everything they can and not rely on yeah um you know to or a step back from globalization and be like actually why can't we make you know great shoes or you know food products in particular um so i actually think like you said it's almost thing the opposite of what most people would think is the best yeah, solution flip, flipping on its head eh? and um I thought about this, uh, you know, we all reflected during lockdown, like how lucky New Zealand is that we produce a lot of good food, you know, we, we, we can feed ourselves, but we don't make any plant-based milks yet, you know, like we, we haven't got a facility that really, and, and with that market growing, and I think as well the, the plant-based meats and things like that, we should be doing that because if we get shut off, um, you know, uh, I, I think I think it's good to know you can you can do it on your own if you have to. Mm. And the exciting, yeah, because in Malmo with Oatly, which just took uh, they actually took America by storm and just sold out instantly over there. It's um, crazy, yeah. So the demand is there. The um, but obviously they they like you said that you can make anything into anything you do with dairy, you can do with oats. So what's the exciting uh, next products or processes because you're refining the even the oat formula and yeah, enzymes a, as you go as well yeah big time so yeah. we're actually um very closely linked to sweden both tim and i and our, our food techs have, have been going over there we've got swedish consultants um which um uh you know they exclusively work for us and 
uh, have between them nearly 50 years of oat milk experience, <laughs> which if you add Tim and my one and a half, two years, you know, what, they, they've leapfrogged us, you know, 20 years down the line. Um, and uh, over there, it's, it's nuts. Like you walk down a supermarket aisle and there's, there's e everything. Like the, the obvious things are the ice creams and the, the chocolate milks. And um, uh, a big one there is cooking cream. Cooking, oh, cooking cream. Apparently, chefs absolutely love it wow. because you know you put coconut cream and, and uh, curries and things. Well, the oats more neutral, so it doesn't mm. wash out the flavours that the chefs. So apparently, that's been a hit. We, we're right away. We're working on um, uh, a chocolate milk, um, and we're, we're working on an ice cream. Uh, I don't know whether I can announce it, but with a really uh, cool New Zealand ice cream brand, we're, we're looking at a collab there. Um, and uh, and then it's about trying to get um, like a, a, a ready to go uh, uh, oat milk latte, like a, you know a ready RTD ready to drink thing. It's just it's really exciting. Yeah. I mean we we should stay focused. We've got two products uh, launching in August, uh, so uh, uh, everyday version and a barista version, which is going to be available. Uh, in one litre, going to supermarkets, online shops, and things like that. So, um, so that's our most pressing one. Uh, but it's very fun to think about all the other different things we can do with it. You know? Yeah. At the moment, we we get the five litre boxes up at the lodge, yeah. um, which are great. And I guess you've gone after the coffee cafe market first, which is a yeah. logical first step. That was very deliberate because we knew that we didn't have a huge amount of supply. So it was how can we get lots of people to um, to get a taste for it, right? Uh, and you know, if you if everyone was pouring it on their cereal at home, our, our supply would go around a few families. But you know, if we could get into uh, as we did, we targeted like a hundred cool cafes. We get in there. Um, that's quite a lot of flat whites. It's quite a lot of different people experiencing Otis uh, in something that they already like. Like if they're in a good cafe, they're having, you know, we're, we're above a really cool cafe at the moment and there's a great vibe. People feel good that they're here. They're getting their caffeine fix, which <laughs> makes people feel good. You know, like it's their best part of the morning yeah. is going to the local cafe. You add Otis into that. It's, it's just great, great branding in a good way to, to spread the message um, and now that we're, we're getting those supply constraints lifted we can push it out and, and hopefully let, let everyone try yeah oh, it's, um, it's very exciting and, and I always loved the, the way Oatly was branded and positioned in the market as well and, um, and they were very clever about it eh? yeah. like it, it, it's cool what they did I um, I wonder how they'll hold on to that now that they're massive. Mm. Do you see, was it two days ago? They so got 200... Quiet or was it... No, they, they raised 200 million US um, with like Oprah and Jay-Z and all these famous investors. But that was only for 10%. So they got valued at 2 billion US a couple wow. of days ago. Yeah. So, but how do they keep that, um, you know, that, that trendy... Uh, marketing vibe that they've got now that they're a global multi-billion dollar company it'll be interesting but the way they went after the dairy market uh, really got people's attention eh? and I, I tip my cap to them for that eh? yeah and we're at a tipping point where people are you know particularly big influencers um, will invest or be part and promote and it's not you know, I, I think even five years ago it was still quite alternative and now it's um yeah almost alternative not to be yeah, in yeah. that space um yeah which i think is pretty pretty exciting are there other uh, products and industries if you weren't doing oat milk do you think are there other areas you're quite excited about that you kind of follow on the side or b before i um uh before tim came and and uh pitched the the otis idea to me um I was looking at like down the hemp route. Um, so, you know, I'm on a, a piece of land and I have, 
have cattle out there and, and you know, I, I really believe that we need to uh, try and bring the number of farm animals back a bit. And, and yeah, I, I think it's very exciting what's happening in the, in the hemp world. Um, you know, and it's something you can grow everywhere. Unfortunately, I feel like New Zealand's kind of lost a little bit of a march on international competition, the way we've been so restrictive about it. But um, I know there's some companies really trying. Um, and, uh, you know, an idea for us is what can we do with our, our byproducts that comes from making, you know, our, our mm. dairy alternatives? Um, well, there's still lots of goodness that comes out. You can't get every single bit of the oat into the milk. Um, but the stuff that you're left with is really high in protein. So it's actually a good base for, say, a, you know, a plant-based burger or something like that. Um, I think the, the, the possibilities around plant-based foods are so exciting. And I'm just really hoping that New Zealand doesn't miss out like we, we have the best farmers and the you know really well looked after with our farmers with our food techs um you know i would like new zealand to become uh, like a not a silicon valley i call it like a silo valley where you know we're, we're a hub for these new creative food industries but they have to be environmentally friendly they have to be sustainable you know uh, they have to be carbon positive all those things but we should be able to do it, you know, and I, I, hopefully we do. Yeah, and no, I went from one extreme to having a lot of dairy, then finding out it wasn't good for me, and then being completely on the other extreme, and now kind of sit in the middle a little bit where, um, you know, I see societies that have done it, lived off Jersey cows in the Swedish mountains, or, yeah, yeah. you know, they've, they've used what they've had, and... But I think the big issue in New Zealand was that there's the, the price of dairy went up and everyone just put dairy on every bit of land even though it wasn't uh, suitable or it was close to waterways. And um, and then with the industrialization of it, that it, anything that depletes that topsoil, that's where the kind of the bigger issue is. And so it almost feels like a more, trying to come back to a more harmonious yeah. place, which but it's, uh, it's sustainable, right? Yeah. Like we have to be able to, and sustainable by definition is something that you can keep doing and keep doing and keep doing. And we cannot keep farming in New Zealand or in the world the way we're currently farming. And, you know, I, I have to keep stressing that we're a pro-farmer brand and we're just trying to provide solutions to help farmers make a living doing something more sustainably. Um, and, you know, the again, it sounds like I'm, we are protesting against industrialised dairy farming. But when you follow the way that it happened, it kind of made sense at the time. You know, we were really good at something. And for a tiny little country like New Zealand to have the largest dairy company in the world that is owned by all the farmers in it is a really impressive thing. Like, it, it's awesome. It just no longer works in 2020. You know, that doesn't mean it was stupid of them in 2000. In fact, it was incredibly impressive. But what we need to do is take that can-do attitude and, and look forward. But this time we need to look, you know, 50, 100 years forward, not just five years forward to, to what makes money, you know? Yeah, I think it was even on a Rich Roll podcast, I think you, ha you have to go through the Stone Age to get to the Industrial Age. You can't. Yeah. The steps that you kind of and mistakes you make to get to the next one, um, which which kind of makes sense that people are trying to do their best. And I at home we, I don't watch much TV, but I love to watch Country Calendar. And I saw one even in Taranaki the other day where a family had um, transitioned and they'd done quinoa as a yeah as a crop. And I was like, wow, that is so like the climate was great for it. The um, yeah, those guys are crushing it. The Kenwa, Kiwi Kenwa yeah. company is awesome, eh? And, um, yeah, it was just such a cool story. And to be able to get behind that and have this, uh, you know, high in protein, it's just this great kind of pseudo grain. Um, and to be made, you know, the food miles, to be made locally, distributed locally, and then 
I, I just thought it was very cool, like a very cool transition. Absolutely, and and it, you see stories like that, and it's inspirational. Um, and and what I think uh, with with Otis, we've always tried to keep our focus on, and what I would hope, you know, other people, and you see other people doing it, is not waiting till there's a perfect solution, a, a silver bullet. It's like okay, we can do that. Just get started, you know, and and just just give something a crack, um, because. I think, you know, you have to be careful to not let perfect get in the way of better, right? Everyone, all of us in our lives need to be doing stuff slightly better today than we were yesterday and have that attitude of improving, improving. And honestly, I think farmers are completely open to this. I, I think there's a mentality in New Zealand that farmers are digging their heels in and uh, d don't want to change and don't want to innovate they're some of the most innovative people in the world. Uh, I've got good friends who are who are croppers, and e each year um, they uh, they have the the different farming systems that they go in, and they always have what they call 10% crazy, and they just find like random crops and just chuck it in the ground and see what will happen, you know. And maybe they 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 hit a winner, but you know farmers are are used to innovating and and, and used to uh, you know trying to get better so you know we just I think we need to support them rather than you know criticize them for what, what they haven't done so well yet yeah and you mentioned shoe dog before are there any other kind of great uh, maybe even in the sustainable movement like great movies films people you've come across that have helped even it's kind of inspire you you mentioned that um the Rich Roll podcast, uh, the episode where he interviews, uh, I think it's Pat Brown, the CEO of Impossible Foods. Uh, I would recommend everyone listen to that. Like, forget any of the nonsense I say, that guy will say sort of the same thing, but much better. Um, and uh, that that really uh, inspired me. Um, I, uh, I, I think podcasting's just been such a game changer, eh, for, like, you know, the access that you can get to information. I listen to Climate One podcast, comes out a couple of times a month, and they're always interviewing um, uh, different people, you know, both sides of the debate, and, and they kind of have a panel interview. Uh, that's been really helpful for me um, in terms of uh, people I, I read. I'm a huge fan of uh, Jared Diamond, uh, you read his books? He, no, I haven't heard his, his first, I think he won a Pulitzer 20, 30 years ago for Guns, Germs and Steel. Uh, but his book Collapse, which could be 15 years old now, uh, was one that really freaked me out. Like, and he's incredibly impressive the way he, he writes. It's kind of like taking a university paper. Um, uh, but that book... Uh, sort of, sort of hit me pretty hard. Um, uh, you know, Yuval Noah Harari, yeah. like oh, he, he's he's great. Eh? And his uh, his latest book, Twenty One Lessons for the Twenty First Century, stuff like that. Just yeah, they're the they're the sort of things that made me. I, I was always interested in it, but it made me think I actually want to do something. You know, I want to I want to say that I tried. You know. Yeah, I remember when I first got into the Rich Roll podcast, I got so passionate, and then that kind of... It, it didn't fade away, but it, it did a whole busy, lot of things. Right? Yeah, yeah, and then got busy, and then I listened to it, a little bit more time after um, just being cl closed for a little bit with The Lodge, and listening to um, a Paul Check podcast with Zach Bush, MD, and just talking about this transition we went through where germs were so bad and we sterilized everything we brought like phosphate in we killed off any bugs or microbes that weren't good and then and how that's the bedrock for all life is yeah. water air and the microbes in the top couple of inches of the soil um and geez it got me passionate like the yep. you know and 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 then there's things that just occur to me that you know, you can kind of only think as well as the food you consume as well. Like you consume garbage and you can only be as conscious almost as the food you consume. And I see in schools the just junk kids are given um, and the and we're often not aware of those 
you know, century-long effects. Or in um, a Western Prices book, was when as soon, as soon as they brought in white sugar, white flour, white uh, pasteurized dairy, the tooth decay and the yeah. mental health issues of all societies just just went through the roof. Um, but people kind of don't realise the long-term impact of that. No, nah, no, of course. Uh, yeah, it's for, I remember as well, I don't know where I heard it, but, you know, they're digging up these old skeletons that have great teeth, you know? <laughs> and it's like, well, why, what's going wrong, you know? Um, I listened to, this was well before podcasts, I listened to a cassette tape that my dad had lying around called, back in, the, like, the 90s, called Dead Doctors Don't Lie, and it touched on... Um, you know, how if it's not in the soil, it can't be in the food and it can't be in our bodies, right? And that, you know, most of us were dying of uh, some sort of depletion. Um, You know, we we were running out of something that we needed. We thought we were getting from our food, but the food couldn't get it because it wasn't in the soil. And even back then he was talking about how, you know, it's not the farmer's fault because they're incentivized and uh, they sell based on weight, on bushels, on tonnage, on mm. things like that, not on nutrient density of their plants. Um, and we're, we're more aware of that now. And, you know, and, and but I mean, we say this, maybe this is our just privileged little bubble that yeah. we're aware of it because we can afford to buy, uh, you know, slightly better food. And if you're, if you're struggling to make ends meet and the cheapest thing on the shelf is coke and garbage white bread or you know stuff like that so you know maybe we, we need to be uh, conscious of that and that's an education piece but that's also making good things affordable right or, or yeah it's education isn't it because vegetables can be affordable if you've got a backyard and someone teaches you how to plant it with vegetables all right so and the other thing was just tax you know i've heard this from a few people um even in plastics, taxing the, the bad products and subsidising the good ones. And you think that in food systems, you could, like you have with cigarettes or alcohol, you could tax sugar and subsidise fruits and vegetables. But It's, it's such a no-brainer, um, eh? And, and like, it, people tax... This is not a political podcast, so <laughs> I'm trying not to get too ranty, but like the simplest one I heard the other day on the radio is... Um, uh, around cars, you know, like we need to have more electric cars. In New Zealand in particular, again, it's cows and cars that are most of our emissions, right? So we have to have lots more electric cars. I actually drive a a tiny little Nissan Leaf and I absolutely freaking love it. Um, But what in successful companies, it's very simple. You tax a higher missing car. If people want to buy a gas guzzling car, they just have to pay a tax. That tax goes directly to subsidising an electric vehicle. And very quickly, people aren't stupid, they go and buy more of that. You do the same with food, right? Sugar taxes. It has been put in countries. It works overnight. It works. As long as people know that the tax from the bad thing is going to the good thing and it's not just getting swallowed up and mm. you know spent on other stuff but yeah we we, we should you, ta- you tax bad things to incentivize good things right that's it's interesting though some of the politics that you don't like Stephen Jennings was on a talk and he talked about the real estate issue in New Zealand that prices are going too high but for a government to come in and change the law to make housing density go up and reduce regulations would deflate the prices across the market so then no one wants their house price to go down and so it's just really uh, so no one will vote for so it. no one will vote for the yeah, government so that puts that system or the government that puts it in well it's political suicide and so there's other interesting dynamics at play but um i think you're so right about the incentives and you mentioned b corps before which is a way to look at business and from sustainability, from employment to the products used to the whole, yeah, so much more than just profit, and that's something you're looking at as well, is it, or has yeah, it been inspiration, or yeah, yeah. So I, I, uh, Tim and I, when we first heard about B Corp, and, and the B stands for like benefit, and so you're not looking at profit, you're looking at benefit, um, and I uh, went straight out and bought the book, and um, 
uh, got about five pages in, was feeling pretty inspired, and uh, it says, if you're a startup, put this book down, forget about it, go start your business up, because if you don't succeed and you don't make any money, there's no point, yeah. <laughs> there's no benefit for anyone, uh, but uh, keep us in mind. And, and so we've now reached that point where we're um, going back to it, we think we're, we're surviving, so, so now we want to get uh, registered and certified for it. It's quite a long process, but it's, it's just a fantastic framework to, um, to help guide you into to what you want to be. And, you know, ob the obvious ones are the environmental side of things, but, but then it's benefit the whole way through to your, your staff, you know, um, in an ideal world, you, you want everyone who's working in the company to not just feel ownership, but actually have ownership in the company. Uh, so then, then they're benefiting as well. And you, you know, the, the social elements and, and the diversity, and it's all, it's all what we need to be doing in the 21st century, you know? And, and, and it's exciting, you know? I, I'm, I'm really pumped to focus on, on that side of things. To be honest, more than I am a, a, about the white stuff that comes yeah. in, the, in the bottle, you know? Yeah. Oh, it's interesting. Is there um, kind of one message you'd love to share with people? Is there anything that comes to mind? Uh, yeah, put me on the spot. One thing. Um, in terms of in terms of if you're thinking of doing something uh, from from trying to go out there and, and, and build build your own whatever it is, uh, my message would be to to just get started, to give it a crack. And then the, the second thing which I've found is that if you ask people for help, they're so open and keen to help you. And and that's the most surprising thing that I've found in this tiny little startup that we had. We would go around and, and we would ask some really, really impressive people, and perhaps you've experienced that with some of the, the people you've bumped in through the lodge. Man, they're keen to help, eh? Like, like people who are, have achieved some success are not hoarding the, the knowledge that they've learnt. And, and so... So that's one thing that I, I, I think is good to pass on. And um, yeah, in, in terms of a New Zealand perspective, I think that we should all be, be thinking big, you know, that, that uh, we don't need to have little man syndrome down in the bottom of the world, that, um, you know, there's, there's lots of examples and, and I think we need lots more of people that go out there and think mm. big. That's a beautiful, um, beautiful place to... To, to wrap it up and um, and so people can find Otis obviously got great, great social media on the Instagram and Facebook and yeah, yeah. are there any other places you want to send people um, yeah, yeah to, to the website um, we, we're just uh, re redoing the website because we're going to be available to purchase direct to customer off the website starting next month so it's otisoatmilk.co.nz um, but what we're really going to uh, be doing on there is you know, because we want to be more than just a milk company, we're going to talk a lot about uh, everything that we're trying to do. Uh, we're going to be fully transparent about what's and all. There's a lot of stuff that, we, that we're not perfect at and we need to improve, and we, we try and lay that all out. Uh, we've done a uh, life cycle sustainability report, uh, which is about 100 pages long. We, we're going to try and publish everything so people can... can can see for themselves and, and yeah so um, website's a good place to start cool I really appreciate your your time Chris and it's such a fantastic product and message and um, yeah when, when things are you know there's so much kind of turmoil in the world to have, be focused on the things you can do I think it's just really it's just really empowering and um, yeah. it feels and it feels good and just hearing your story is really inspired you know inspiring from myself and hopefully for the listeners as well awesome hey thank you so much doug it's been it's been fun well there you go hope you dug it hope you get a flat oat in you this week today wherever you are ask for the oat milk the otis preferably 
and uh, let me know what you think. You can actually do that, like message me on Instagram or Facebook. Give Otis a follow on the social media too. They're going to be announcing lots of cool stuff, particularly with their new plant plant opening up. And uh, I'll be doing a couple of giveaways of their oat milk on my Instagram page um, and Facebook. So check that out. And uh, we'd love to hear what you thought of the episode and uh, just what you're up to in life. I'm going to be, I just watched something with Logan Paul and I'm just, just really opened me up. This is kind of a bit of a spontaneous ad lib, but I realized I was so judgmental of a lot of things, a lot of people. And uh, and and Logan Paul just out of the blue, I saw something with him, and uh, yeah, just it amazed me what you can create online if you just uh, live in a place of love and creativity rather than fear, and share what you love. And uh, I certainly love oat milk, but I love lots of things, and creativity, humor, and sustainability would be at the heart of that. So I think I'm gonna try and get some vlogs out there, share some more content on my life and what I love, and hopefully it'll benefit you too. Um, things like the Happy Body, Jersey Gregorick, Oat Milk. Oh, I'm wearing Birkenstocks and sandals. You know, there's just so much goodness and an awareness and consciousness that can be created uh, when you when you share, when you be the change. So, as the sentiment of the podcast is to think less, experience more. Hopefully, you can do the same. Thank you so much for listening in. Love you all and uh, love the Oat Milk. Peace.